This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, this is Frida Liu and you're listening to Her Vantage and this is where we speak to women of influence and leadership. A recognized leader in the social impact space and a champion for moral leadership, Jacqueline Norvogratz is the founder and CEO of Acumen, a global community that fights poverty and builds dignity by investing in companies and change makers using both philanthropy-backed pioneer investing and for-profit impact mm-hmm. funds. Jacqueline's two decades of work with Acumen have impacted nearly 443 million people across Africa, Latin America, South Asia, and the United States. Very good to be speaking to you, Jacqueline. Thank you so much, Frida. It's really wonderful to be here. I'm sorry I didn't get to see you when you were here physically, but anyway, it's good to speak. Well, I feel the so same take, way. Take me back to the birth of Acumen into 2001 after leaving Wall Street? Sure. Well, I actually left Wall Street many years prior, having seen the power of markets and also the limitations, how often markets overlook or and underestimate so many of the poor. And that took me actually on a grand adventure to Central Africa, where I started the first microfinance bank with a group of women of Rwandan women, and we and I saw that a, a group really could make history. I also saw that top-down solutions, uh, too often charity, create dependency, and that what human beings yearn for is dignity. That's this idea that we can have choice, our ability to make decisions, to feel seen and to contribute. And so seeing both philanthropy and markets having their place, but also limitations, I started to ask myself, what would it look like to take the best of both? And the big idea that was present at the launch of Acumen was patient capital, that we could take philanthropy and invest it for 10 to 15 years in entrepreneurs that were trying to first and foremost solve big problems of poverty and agriculture and healthcare and education and energy. We would accompany those entrepreneurs with management assistance, but also access to our social capital, our networks, our connections. Any money that came back to Acumen would be reinvested in innovations serving the poor. And um, as you said, we've we've impacted a lot of people. Actually, we've just crossed the half a billion person mark. And so it really does work to move away from these ideological focuses on one way or the other to a worldview that is about both and. Right. You know, everyone's talking about sustainability and impact investing nowadays, right? What was it like convincing anyone 20 years ago and what made you continue? At the beginning of anything new, when you are questioning the status quo, it's hard. What I learned very quickly after so much rejection, people telling me, I clearly didn't understand business and finding many ways to, I think, take courage away, if you will. I learned the important lesson that once they start calling you crazy, it means you're on to something. And I think that's what probably kept me going was that I knew, having worked in both sectors, that they weren't enough to solve our biggest problems of poverty. I didn't know that what we were doing was right. 
but I knew it was worth trying. And so while it was very lonely at times and, and certainly not an easy time, the exciting thing was finding those early adopters who I guess bet on my determination probably more than anything else. We have a famous moment, Frida, with my board chair, who's an amazing woman, actually. At some point, you should interview her. First woman to run a Wall Street trading floor. And a few years in, she said, I remember when Jacqueline asked me to put money into Acumen, and I was so excited by what she was doing that I said, yes. And then I went home and I told my husband about it. And he said, well, what does she do? She said, oh my goodness, I can't explain it. And she said, a few years later, I still couldn't fully explain it, but I was more convinced than ever. Now, thankfully, she could explain it. And as you said, there's a whole sector of impact investors and people focused on patient capital and sustainability. But that's how change happens. At the beginning, if you sign up for easy, don't sign up. Hmm. That That's a soundbite. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And correct me with the figures if I'm wrong. Acumen has invested more than $149 million of patient capital in 257 companies and is also responsible for nearly $243 million in assets under management via its for-profit funds, which have impacted 32 million people and offset 18 million tons of carbon. How is this managed? Well, it's been 22 years. So over that time, we've grown into somewhat of a conglomerate, if you will, with a, a holding company that is a nonprofit. And underneath it, there are three different divisions, if you will. Acumen Ventures, which is our philanthropic capital that, whereas I said, any money comes back, it's reinvested. Then there's something called Acumen Capital Partners, which is a for-profit management which holds the for-profit funds. And there you do have patient impact investors that get their money back over time. And, and in the middle is Acumen Academy, also nonprofit, driven by philanthropy, where we are focused on building a core of leaders around the world, grounded in moral leadership with the entrepreneurial skills to build solutions to poverty. Right. And I know you've got the academy, the program, the fellowship. So you've trained social entrepreneurs and innovators through Acumen Academy, which has cultivated 1,300 leaders in 61 countries, now whose collective work has reached tens of millions. And through your online courses, Acumen Academy has influenced more than a million individuals from 193 countries unleashing a new generation of entrepreneurial builders grounded in the skills and attributes of moral leadership, right? What have been some of your more memorable success stories? There are so many now. When it comes to, and it's interesting just even listening to you talk about the, the impact statistics, which is where, of course, we start, but they don't capture what it means to change lives and communities. On the investment side, one of our early investments was in a long-lasting malaria bed net company, where this is a technology um, to infuse organic insecticide into a polyethylene-based netting that was developed actually by Sumitomo in Japan. But 95% of all malaria was in, and still is in Africa. And there had been no 
local manufacturing. And so we help find the right entrepreneur. We help put the deal together. We invested in this company, which grew from pretty much zero to 10,000 mostly women employees, creating 30 million bed nets every year, which over the course of 15 years, well, now almost 20, is about a half a billion bed nets that had a demonstrable effect on reducing malaria. Right. And those jobs changed Arusha, the city where it was built. On the fellow side, I was just visiting a company called Hakter Shak in India. It's a young man who saw that you've got a quarter billion very poor people in India, which is a country that actually has a generous government social services policy. But most of the low-income people don't know how to access those services and those funds. So what Haktashak does is create a technology platform, increasingly using AI, that allows agents, and now there are 6,000 jobs, agents to go door-to-door to meet low-income people. These are some of the lowest caste people in the country. And help deduce with them which of the 11,000 Indian entitlements they are due. And already that company has moved a billion dollars into these low-income people's homes. And again, it sounds impressive, but these statistics don't really capture the stories. And um, I met one young woman and I actually asked her, what is dignity to you? You're 19 years old. You're working as an agent going door to door. And she said, you know, a year ago, it was monsoon rains. And I went to visit this house where a woman's husband had just died. And she was extremely poor, lowest caste, but she was due 20,000 rupees for widow's insurance. And so the family was sort of skeptical, but they filled out the forms with me under my umbrella. And, and I left. And a few weeks later, the family came to visit me at my office and they couldn't believe that they had gotten the 20,000 rupees and they wanted to say thank you. And they thought, given so much corruption in the system, that they should give me 10,000 of it. And I said, no, no, no. I didn't do this to make money. I do this because it's my duty. And she said, and so madam, this to me is dignity because that woman got what was rightfully hers in a way that's fully changed her life and the life of her family and allow them not to go hungry. And I had the dignity of knowing I did my job. If we can build companies like this that put our humanity and the earth at the center of our systems and not just profit, we could really make change. And so having 1,350 of these fellows, including now 110 across Southeast Asia, and all of these companies that are showing a different way to me gives me great, a great sense of hope in a moment right. that's too cynical, that we have a new generation that wants to do things differently. Right. You know, that story about the mosquito bed nets and it's hiring women, but it's also the half a billion lives you've saved. Right. You know, so it's how do you measure that? I, I love these stories. And we'll continue with more stories right after this. I'm here with Jacqueline Novogratz from Acumen. Stay tuned, BFM 
Backing Feminist Movements. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Frida Liu. You're listening to Her Vantage, and this is where we speak to women of influence and leadership. I'm speaking to Jacqueline Novogratz from Acumen, and we're talking about the, some of the initiatives here. Now, you talk about the Acumen, there is Academy, and there also is the Accelerator Program. So what's the program about and its objectives? The program really is ultimately to unleash a new generation that knows that these old ways of putting profit at the center, the individual at the center, aren't working in a world of true, true interdependence. Look at what's happened with wildfires in Canada coming to my city, New York City, and then I was in Europe and the fires were going there too. Ukraine and the impact of that war in terms of fertilizer prices in Ethiopia. We are all part of each other. And so we need new ways of building systems that use the power of markets, but aren't beholden only to markets. I truly believe that there's a generation that yearns to be good, to contribute, and for purpose. And so the purpose of Vacuum and Academy really is to build a community so that those entrepreneurs that are trying know that they are not crazy all by themselves. They're part of a a truly supportive community. But equally, Frida, and as important, is to show the role models and the business models for what can work. These are not tiny companies, uh, not after 10 years anyway. They might start that way, but then they grow to Unhaktershak, which will be could reach 100 million people. They grow to a D-Light, a solar lighting company that has brought light and electricity to 150 million people. I really believe that this is a future that we can all participate in. And, and the people who are crazy enough to go and build it are those social entrepreneurs who want to commit themselves to things far bigger than themselves and yet approach them in ways that are not just full of idealism, but equally grounded in pragmatism. Right. You know, once they graduate, the fellowship and celebrated participants join the foundry, right? How do you select who gets into the foundry and what does it aim to do? So, as you said, once you're a fellow, you're a fellow for life. The foundry is for those individuals who've gone through an immersive acumen experience and become part of this community that is 1,350 people, 1,700 by the end of the year. To get in is highly selective. People apply, whether it is to Acumen Academy Malaysia, and from all corners of Malaysia will apply. And one of the things we focus on is to ensure that the representation of people in the fellowship is a mirror of a country. Because every country on the planet, certainly mine, is riven with divides right now across race, class, religion, ethnicity, caste. And so building a cohort of fellows so that you are learning in community about yourself, about the power of community, about the problems that we face as a world. And our hope is that 
in 10, 15 years, you'll look around Malaysia or Vietnam, where we also have fellows, or now across different countries in, in Southeast Asia or, or Pakistan or India, and we will see leaders running corporations, civil society organizations, government ministries, who will not be focused on self, but will be focused on serving the the public in ways that are connected, that know their countries across these lines of difference and that have a cohort of trust who will not only support them, but hold them to account. Right. Has any funds been provided here in Malaysia or Southeast Asia? Yeah, well, in Malaysia, the YTL Foundation and Kathleen Chu anchored the idea for Acumen Academy Malaysia, which now has 59 foundry members that are just really extraordinary. I was just there and able to visit people like Clara Wan, who was a 2023 recent fellow. And she founded a company called Gray's Market, which is a social enterprises that essentially bridges the gap between food waste and hunger by offering imperfect food, meaning bruised vegetables or foods that have gone a little bit past their sell-by date that are delicious. And she's working on a, a circular model, if you will. And it's extraordinary to watch the retail that they have where people can actually buy affordable food rather than continue with 30% of the food being thrown away. And they have this awesome restaurant where you can actually experience this food. I also visited a company or a nonprofit, which is about one of our fellows as well, run by a woman named Antatotini um, Zaunudin. And her organization is called Yayasin Chowkit. And it's a place where, where kids, abandoned kids, kids who've been, who are deeply marginalized, can gather, can have a healthy meal, can go to, to school, can have a safe place to sleep. And it's a really important safe house, if you will, for those children living in a tougher area. But it also gives Tatotini the deep understanding from the grounds up of what is actually needed to be a child advocate. And as a result, she's been very effective in changing policy, influencing policy in Malaysia for Malaysia's children. I think we need to see more of that as well, where we're linking grassroots understanding to our supply chain and to the way policies are enacted. Yeah, yeah, Dazotini, we all know of the the challenging work she has. And I've been to the Grace Market restaurant as well. I mean, it's so awesome that you are highlighting strong women because I'm watching a whole generation of women take on problems in ways that are quite powerful and full of compassion and bring what it means to be a woman, I think, more powerfully into the world. Right. Your first book was The Blue Sweater, and then you subsequently wrote a manifesto for a moral revolution, practices to build a better world. You know, this is it, right? You've been a change agent for so long and seeing the good and choosing to see the good. And yet there seems to be a lot of bad going on with polarization, right? And what's going on, right? So how can everyone work for the common good and do what is right? And what needs to be in place? And I'm just asking you 
as you're sitting under the Bodhi tree? <laughs> well, I am loving that you just asked me around the Bodhi tree because one of the reasons I'm so excited to be working in Southeast Asia is that we've got to move from seeing our systems in terms of the individual. This is a moment for the collective. And I actually would go so far as to talking about the collective conscience, that part of our polarization is our separation. We're separated from each other. We're, we're separated from ourselves. And, you know, I have seen some of the darkest and the ugliest parts of what it means to be human. Having gone through the Rwandan genocide, starting a bank there prior to it, seeing horrendous, the aftermath. And so I don't, I don't only see the light. I choose to build hope in part because I, I've come to understand that it's only when we see the idea of Ubuntu, I am because you are, I am part of you, you are part of me, that we actually do start changing our systems. And part of the acumen ethos is that we will only solve problems if we actually start by acknowledging the humanity of the people we are here to serve, not to help, not to save, but to serve and to serve in partnership. When you start there and you realize that I could be you, then we have the capacity to build more humanity and effectiveness into our systems. Sometimes I think about our, our companies, Frida, and, and I realize that um, all of the different parts of those companies, you know, we have a, a chocolate company in Colombia that works with the Aruaco indigenous people. Their cosmology is not that dissimilar to Shintoism. They see mm. gods in all things and multiple gods, and they see themselves as caretakers of a universe. They see themselves as a collective, yet they're partnering with a Catholic Colombian elite to build this beautiful company with shared resources to export a gorgeous product to the world that is a, an exemplar of sustainability. I sometimes look at that whole company and think I could be the indigenous leader or the entrepreneur or the hungry kids or the, the wealthy philanthropists. Not only are they all in me, but we need all of them. And that's part of the acumen ethos, that we need a community that starts by standing with the poor, that insists on seeing potential, even in places that most people only see despair, that sees investing as a means rather than at the end in and of itself. I actually believe there is so much wisdom in the East to bring to the world, married with many other systems. Right. But we have to make a conscious choice to build from that place. And what's so exciting to me is now that there are about 2,000 individuals, companies across the Acumen universe, not only do I know it's possible, but I see the extraordinary potential in it. Right. Thank you so much for your time. I've been speaking to Jacqueline Novogratz from Acumen, and you've been listening to Her Vantage, BFM 89.9.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.